0: Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. The entrance of your word always brings light illuminates our path, it breaks yokes, it leaves burdens, it challenges us, it does those things and more, and we're believing that that will be the case this Thanksgiving Sunday as we just turn our hearts to being grateful to you for all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 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 Now, it's, it's, if you were at fresh fire, and really if, if you if you can be at Fresh Fire, I would encourage you to be at Fresh Fire. Fresh Fire is 45 minutes of intense intercession. And the, the key word is intense. It is fervent. It's effectual praying that takes place physically between 9 and 9.45. And today, uh, Pastor Denrile took Fresh Fire, and it was simply awesome. Seriously so. Um but as she, as she led Fresh Fire, I just kind of, it's, it's beautiful when you get a confirmation that something God is laying on your heart, uh, that this is really what he's, he's saying. Um, over the last week or two, I've been overwhelmed by God's goodness, um, God's, God's faithfulness, God's, God's mercies, just overwhelmed. And last night into this morning, I, I, I slept and I woke up just Thinking about how good God is. You know, just example after example just come into mind about how good God is. Um, and I, I kind of had this phrase at the back of my mind that God owes no one. Yeah, God eventually when you, when you put it together, you will find out that God has been true to himself in that he has been good to you and I. The Matthew 19 is it, 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 the whole of Matthew 19 is one of those um, chapters in the Bible where the disciples have had a very tough day. Um, Jesus has been teaching them, but teaching on some challenging and difficult things: marriage and and divorce, and then he taught on celibacy, and then he went on to teach about wealth, um, and uh, not just that he was doling out pounds or dollars, but just about the challenges of wealth. So much so, uh, he went on to talk about how uh, it was easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, all this tough stuff. He talked about murder, he talked about adultery, um, and at the end of it, the disciple Peter asked one question, and that's in Matthew 19, verse 27. This is the Passion Translation. The Bible says, then Peter blurted out, here we are. we are. We have given up everything to follow you. What reward will there be for us? I don't know if anybody has ever been there where you have just had a tough time, and you're just, you're just you're looking at, God, this Christianity, I know it's the only way. But sometimes it's tough going. Sometimes this road is truly narrow. Sometimes it seems like the other guys are having a better time. And I know, yes, God, I know the scriptures, I know about heaven, I know know all that, but Lord, it is tough. Has anybody ever been there? If you've been there, let's see your hands physically if you're in here. Yeah? Um, At the hub as well, online you can... You can put it on the chart that you've been there. Well, the disciples had been there. And then now Jesus comes with all this murder, adultery, marriage, divorce, you know, just seems harder. And now you're even telling us that even having money is a problem because it's so difficult to have money and and end up in the, and it's just think the disciples. So Peter, it had to be Peter. All the disciples were thinking it, but Peter spoke for them. Peter just said, okay, here we are. We are going nowhere. We are following you. But we've given up everything. What reward will there be for us? And then in the next verse, Jesus responds. He says this, listen to the truth. In the age of the restoration of all things, where the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will have 12 thrones of your own, and you will govern the 12 tribes of Israel. For anyone who has left behind their home and property, living family, brothers or sisters, mothers or fathers or children, for my sake, they will be repaid a hundred times over and will inherit eternal life. Peter's thing was, "What? what is the reward for this? Jesus says, there's a reward you'll be repaid a hundred times over and you'll inherit eternal life. He says to them, there is a reward for all this. And there is a reward here, but there's a reward there. That's what he was saying to them. The first thing he pointed out was that there is a reward of eternal life. All that you're doing, all the sacrifices you're making, All the things you have to forego just so that you can be a good Christian ends with a reward, and the reward is an eternity with God, and if that was the only reward, how many will agree that that is more than enough? So Jesus says to them, there's a reward, and the reward is eternal life. But then he also says to them that there's also a reward here if you've had to forgo these things. In some way, you get these things back a hundred times. And in saying that, he introduces, or starts to introduce, what I have called a system of grace. In, In effect, he's starting to teach them how the kingdom operates. And this is really my sermon for today. That was just a foundation. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Matthew, the 20th chapter. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. (laughs) So Matthew, the 20th chapter, is on the back of the question that Peter asked. So he explains and then gives them a parable to drive home his point. He says, this will help you understand the way heaven's kingdom operates. There was once a wealthy landowner who went out at daybreak to hire all the laborers he could find to work in his vineyard. After agreeing to pay them the standard day's wages, he put them to work. Then at nine o'clock, as he was passing through the town square, he found others standing around Without work, he told them, come and work for me in my vineyard and I'll pay you a fair wage. So off they went to join the others. He did the same thing at noon and again at three o'clock, making the same arrangement as he did with the others. Hoping to finish his harvest that day, he went to the town square again at five o'clock and found more who were idle. So he said to them, why have you been here all day without work? Because no one hired us, they answered. So he said to them, then go and join my crew and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard went to his foreman and said, call in all the laborers, line them up and pay them the same wages, starting with the most recent ones I hired and finishing with the ones who worked all day. When those hired late in the day came to be paid, they were given a full day's wages. And when those who had been hired first came to be paid, they were convinced that they would receive more, but everyone was paid the standard wage. When they realized what had happened, they were offended and complained to the landowner saying, you're treating us unfairly. They've only worked for one hour while we've slaved and sweated all day under the scorching sun. You've made them equal to us. The landowner replied, friends, I'm not being unfair. I'm doing exactly what I said. Didn't you agree to work for the standard wage? If I want to give those who only worked for an hour equal pay, what does that matter to you? Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Why should my generosity make you jealous of them? Now you can understand what I meant when I said that the first will end up the last, and the last will end up being the first. Everyone is invited, but few are chosen. I just want you for a few minutes to put yourself in the shoes of the various participants to that story. It was critical to get work. That was how they would survive. It was important for the owner of the vineyard that his grapes were harvested, because if, it, if they were not harvested that day, he ran the risk of the grapes being spoilt. And so he goes out early in the morning and looking for workers. Um, round about um, historically 6 a.m., he was out looking for workers. He finds some workers and he invites them to come and work and promises them to pay what was standard. It was agreed. Where, wherever you were and you hired people for the day, a, 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 a denarius was the pay payment for the day. So they all knew what they were going to earn. It was actually a system of law. And then he gets them in. And then at nine o'clock, he goes out, gets some more. At twelve o'clock, he gets some more. At three o'clock, he gets some more. He needs them because these grapes have to be harvested. And as it gets towards evening, he realizes that there are not enough hands. And he goes out and finds another group who the Bible says are idle. They are just there lounging around. And he asks them, will you come and work? I mean, he only has an hour or two left. And, and they agree, and they go and work for him. And at the end of the day, he asks his foreman to pay them. And interestingly, rather than start with those he hired first thing in the morning, he starts with those he hired at 5 o'clock. And he pays them a full day's wages for just one hour of work. Of course, those who are watching and seeing what he pays them, in their minds, they've already calculated that if he's just paying them this much for one hour, what are we going to get? We've been working since 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock. We're definitely going to get a lot more. But when it comes to their turn, they are paid the same thing. Of course, offense sets in. We have been working hard. We have been slaving. We've been here much longer than you. We've paid the price. And then he turns to them and says, but what's your problem? The system of the law is that I pay you a day's wages. I've paid you a day your your wages. Why are you so concerned as to what the other people have got? Now, in this, Jesus is teaching us certain things. He's teaching us, firstly, that a system of law existed where you got what you deserved. But he's introducing a system of grace where you don't get what you deserve. You get what he has decided to give you. Is someone with me? You can only imagine the mindset of the workers who he hired at 5 o'clock. They would have been amazed. They would have been overwhelmed. They wouldn't have, been able, they wouldn't have believed that this was happening to them. They would have been saying to their friends, but I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. What kind of a God is this that blesses in this way? They would have looked at the others who had worked so hard and yet got the same thing with themselves, and they would have almost been embarrassed at being embarrassed by God and the goodness of God. Does somebody understand what I'm saying? And maybe somebody here has been there and understands. Where you know that I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, I haven't worked for it. Where you know that I started late. Where you know others who were far far ahead of you, but you look at your circumstances and you have received something that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, that is almost embarrassing. That is encountering the goodness of God. There are two things that show the goodness of God or two expressions to it. Number one is his character. <laughs> that, that is who God is. He's just a good God. For us as human beings, is what we add to ourselves in addition to many other things. For God, he was trying to get them to understand from that parable that this, what did Jesus say? Let me show you how the kingdom of heaven operates. Come and understand how God operates. Because prior to then, they had understood how a system of law operates. You work and you earn what you've worked for. You, you, to get anything, you have to show what you have done. Now he says, let me show you a new system. And it, it, was, it was really getting their attention on those who were hired last. He so said, this is how the kingdom of heaven operates. You just can't explain it. And why is the kingdom of heaven like that? Because that's God's inherent nature. He is just a good God. In Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, in that audacious encounter that Moses has with God, he says to God, show me your glory. (laughs) Then God says to him, I can imagine with a smile on his face, I'll show you. But what does he show him? He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and then I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. What's he saying? You want to see me? You want to encounter me? You do so in my goodness. God is a good God. He is inherently good. He is the personification of good. He is the highest level of good. It's not an add-on. It's not God, this, this and many things. It is that this is, if you cut God any which way, he bleeds good. And Jesus drives home that point. When they said to Jesus, you're good, he said, no, 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 no. Mark, Mark 10 verse 18. He said, don't call me good. No one is good but one, and that is God. Even Jesus was saying, this God, you don't get it. He is The perfect example of good. There is no iota of bad in God. So his character is good. The second thing are his actions, (laughs) what he does. You know, we say the true character of a person is revealed not in what he says, but in what he does and the bible is a record of god's goodness his kindness his generosity his faithfulness his mercy his compassion that's the bible's story from genesis to revelations that this god is inherently good he is not just good in his character in his person he's good in his actions and so the testimony of the bible is a testimony of a good God from Genesis to Revelation. Every story, even the difficult times. And you know the thing with God's goodness? For those who really understand it, even when they're going through trials that are so difficult and challenging and painful, when you speak to them, You are simply gobsmacked that in the midst of that trial, they are the ones telling you, but in all this, God is good. The testimonies abound in the Bible of the goodness of God. Of course, the children of Israel would err, of course, they would face the consequences of their actions. But how does it always end? With God just still there, pouring out his goodness. If you turn back to me, then we can go back and start all over again. I can wipe this whole slate clean. I can forget about everything because I just can't help myself. I'm a good God. And so the, Psalm, the Bible is filled with references. The psalmist, and believe me, the psalmist went through some tough times. But running through the thread that runs through the Psalms is that this God is a good God. O taste and see, he says in Psalms 34 verse 8, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. He says in Psalms 107 verses 1 and two. 2, O give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of, the, of his enemy. God is good. And we can go past the testimony of the psalmist and the testimony of what is written for us in the Bible. But what about your own testimony? Look at your own life. Cast your mind back. Can anyone tell me, whether you're in here at the hub or online, that God has not been good have you not received what you don't deserve? Have you not found yourself where you shouldn't be? Have you been in the midst of a trial but marveled as to how you're surviving that trial? Is that not evidence of God's goodness? Have you not written yourself off and have been amazed that God has not written you off even though you have written yourself off? Is there anybody who can testify to me and say that God has been good to them? If that's you, let's give God a clap offering. He's a good... Good God. He's a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect
1: in all of your ways.
0: You are perfect in all of your ways to work. go. and declare that. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect
1: in all of your ways to us.
0: He's the good good father. It's who you I just wanted us to take a moment of reflection, because sometimes in the frantic, frenetic pace of life, we can forget this truth. We can forget that we have literally survived on the goodness of God, on the mercies of God. You know, you know what mercy is? Mercy is when you deserve something, but rather than get what you get, you get the opposite. Makes no sense. I only worked for one hour. How come I'm getting the same wages, a day's wages? God's goodness almost seems unfair. But that's the God we serve. Jesus said, let me show you how the kingdom of heaven operates. What was he saying? Let me show you what grace is like favor that is unmerited you can't explain it they are congratulating you but in your mind you're saying God between you and I you know that these congratulations have nothing to do with me they're saying well done in the exam and you're saying God between you and I you know that this exam (laughs) this is a modern day miracle where you receive compassion and you're wondering what level of compassion is this? Where you walk into the scriptures in Romans 9 verse 15 and 16 where God says, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Is there anyone who's saying, that's my life? It wasn't because I ran or because I willed. It wasn't because I did or I didn't do. It wasn't because of how hard I worked. It wasn't because I was the best. It wasn't because I even did the things of God right, but God just chose to show me mercy. Is there anyone who can testify to that? I just had an encounter with the goodness of God. It makes no sense. And that's the thing with grace. It makes no sense. Two robbers on either side of him, condemned men by their lives, deserving of the punishment by the law. And one of them doesn't realize that grace is hanging next to him. But a few seconds before an eternity separated from God, before a life in hell, a place that was designed for Satan and his demons, by grace itself. One of them realizes that this is grace hanging next to me. And in a a few sentences reaches out to grace. He'd killed people, maimed people, hurt people, robbed people. He deserves the punishment. But when he reaches out to grace, grace responds, and in those few seconds, he's transported from an eternity separated from God into an eternity with God. Even you and I are saying, God, he, 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 he hurts people. I remember when I read that scripture, I said, okay, God, this guy was a bad guy. He, he probably killed people, probably robbed people of their own pleasure, probably destroyed families. And just like that, is wiped away and then God reminded me of myself. What about what you have done? But you've encountered my goodness. It's a good, good father. That's why we we, we have no other other option. (laughs) There's nothing that can convince us to take another route. What other route are we going to take? And you know, when you encounter God's goodness, it demands a response. If you don't respond, you don't understand God's goodness. It demands a response. As you cast your mind back, as you reflect, As you remember, because sometimes we forget, it demands a response. And what is the response? Paul helps us in Romans the 12th chapter as I come to an end. I want to read this out of the Amplified Classic Version. I appeal, and it's interesting that all the other, the whole sentence is in small letters. But the appeal, the word appeal is in capital letters. It's a, it's a point. It says, I appeal to you therefore brethren and beg of you. Strong words from Paul. It says, I, I, I appeal to you and I, I beg you. In view of all the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God. Because you understand. Because you know that this is just mercy. I don't deserve it. And some of us know what we deserve. You know, look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. Take a look at the person next to you. I want you to look at each other. Now, believe me, I can tell you, I can, if I was a betting man, I would bet on it. That person that looks okay next to you, there's stuff in their heart. There's stuff they have done. If you know, you will get up from where you're sitting. Everybody's laughing about it, but I I do human, I do human, that's what I do. I can tell you it is true. They look all pristine and holy. It's not true. There's stuff they have done. Thank God the Holy Spirit doesn't gossip. Thank God. Somebody's clapping for themselves. That Thank God the Holy Spirit doesn't gossip. But despite all that, they are still the beloved of God. despite all that they are still the apple of his eye so Paul says if you understand that I appeal to you I beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies decisive you can't be one leg in and one leg out Paul says, "If you understand, he says, "Come to a conclusion that because of these mercies of God, that I have not been consumed, I make a decisive dedication of my bodies. He says, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice." He says, "Put yourself on an altar is all you can do because of what God has done is the, the only response that makes any sense. He says, devoted and consecrated and well pleasing to God. He says, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. The worship is not just the songs we sing. The worship is someone who has come to a point in their walk with God where they realize that if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, if it had not been for the grace and the mercy of God, there must be someone who's saying, I would have lost my mind with what I have been through if God had not been there for me. That I am sane is a miracle of God. And as a result, I have no choice but to give my life as a living sacrifice to God. There must be someone who has been through hell on earth and who has come out on the other side and is still standing and is saying God you took me through that I have no choice but to give myself to you. There must be somebody somewhere who is saying Lord I don't deserve the accolades I don't deserve the congratulations I don't deserve what people are saying about me. Between you and I God you know I fall way below the mark but you have put me here in the eyes of people and as a result God I have have no choice but to give my life a living sacrifice. There must be someone here or someone who's listening who's saying that's the only way to give my life a living sacrifice to God. Because when parents let me down, you were there. Friends let me down, you were there. People I looked up to let me down, you were there. You are the only one who has been there through thick and and thin. In the darkness, you were there. On the mountain, you were there. In the valley, you were there. People say these good things about me, but. God, you know that I can't be measured as good. It is your grace that has covered me. I wear your grace. I'm clothed in your grace. The result is that I have no choice, God, but to give my life a living sacrifice to you. It's a good God. Good God. Good God. Good God. What have we done? Look at Jesus' house. What do we do here that other churches don't do? What do we do? What's special about us? Haven't you heard great preachers preach? I'm not, I'm not a great preacher. Haven't you seen churches that are, that are better organized, have, have more money? What have we done? Stumbling along. What have you done in your life? That you think commends you to what God has done for you. You're a picture of mercy. You're a picture of grace. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. As we worship Him in our thanksgiving, this few minutes we have, we just want to worship Him for who He is. As is our custom, we, as you're led, Your actions really show a lot. So we receive a thanksgiving offering. Let it not be the normal thanksgiving offering that you would give. Let it reflect something in your heart. And as I bring this to a close, the ultimate act of goodness, the God of mercy. (sighs) What manner of love is this? makes no sense, God. a man would lay down his life for a friend makes no sense i have two sons i cannot contemplate anything that will allow me to sacrifice my sons the truth is that when we hit the crunch if the choice is your death or their death, I'm sure you will forgive me for choosing yours. I will weep with you and cry with you, but I'm not going to say my son should die. Don't let all of us pretend we are who we are not. So you then think, how, God, what what, what kind of love is this? Say, God, it doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't even that he died when I was trying to be good. He died while I was still against you. He died when I didn't care for you. And he didn't even die by just sleeping and passing away. He died such a horrific death. A painful death. It's not a myth. The pain was real. And all that, just for me, as messed up as I am. What kind of a God do we serve? The mind can't comprehend it. What kind of love is this? And we still are making mistakes by the day. But every time we make a mistake, He's there a god who has perfect knowledge never forgets anything knows the end from the beginning a god a god who does not exist in time his knowledge is not confined to time that god says to the enemy when the enemy comes to accuse him i have forgotten he actually says i have thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness how did you arrive at that God that you forgot my wrong that it doesn't exist that all those things I did are wiped away is mind-boggling God and all that is wrapped up in the gift of salvation that is his son Jesus Can it only not not be Satan that everybody does not accept Jesus? It must be the God of this world who has blinded their eyes. Because this is is a win-win. And so if there's anyone who's here at the hub, maybe, online, and you haven't accepted the gift of salvation, please do. I join with Paul to beg you. Please do. If you want to just open up your heart and ask Him to come in. Go on in your words. Ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Tell Him today you're making a decisive dedication of your life. Go on, tell Him in your own words. A lot of times we lead you, but now in your own words, tell Him that today is a turning point. I receive the goodness that you are expressed in your Son, Jesus. And today I dedicate my life to you. I declare by this my prayer that I'm now a child of yours, born again. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We give you all the praise and glory.
1: You're a good, good father.